Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Thank you very much, Raven. I think um, I want to build on a lot of what you heard because really, you heard the fundamental principles. And like anything else, if you try shortcuts, you're not going to get good results. So those are my dualities of interest. So let me just reiterate true resistant hypertension because most people that are labeled resistant hypertension have apparent resistant hypertension. And you already heard the reasons for that, the number one of which is failure to take medications as prescribed. I just want to make a point right now that if you ask the patient, are you taking your medicines? And they say, yes, yeah, they'll take one today, one tomorrow, maybe two the next day. They'll skip a day because they, they don't feel well. So you've got to be very clear on are they taking it as prescribed. And don't make the mistake, and I'll get to this a little later, of giving homeopathic doses, five of lisinopril, and you think you're good. And no, you need to use the data from the trials to dose your medicines. In no clinical trial were people giving super low doses of anything, unless it's a combination therapy trial. So keep that in mind. And you've already heard this. You've got to ask the patient. I always ask the patient about the two S's, salt and sleep. And so, and don't assume that because they're not using salt that they're on a low-sodium diet. Very quickly, I had two people referred to me from cardiologists for resistant hypertension. They were on three drugs. They were true resistant hypertensives. Bottom line, I got both of them off all their meds because they had normal kidney function. There was nothing else going on. They were consuming four and a half times the amount of sodium that they should have. Why? They claimed they weren't using any salt. They weren't. They were eating out. So important to get these little subtleties. Sleep quality, you've heard. There's a truckload of data and now a lot of interest in research projects going on. So we're going to hear a lot about this over the next five years. If you're not getting six to seven hours of sleep, you're going to have a lot of blood pressure variability. So pressures may be okay in the morning, but they're going to go high as the day goes on. If you hear that, it's not just anxiety. It could be sleep quality. And then again, and I don't have time to get into this, but within the classes of diuretics, big differences in blood pressure reduction between chlorothaladone and hydrochlorothiazide. Big differences between olmosartan and losartan. So you can substitute within the class, and with two different drugs, you can get 10 millimeter greater blood pressure reduction if the patient's taking the meds. But don't forget, primary hyperaldosteronism is by far the most common secondary cause of resistant hyper, of, of hypertension and a major cause of resistant hypertension. So a screening test for an aldosterone ratio is a good way to do it. And if it's above 12, they probably have the problem. If you want to confirm it, you can do a 24-hour urine, get a total aldo. And if it's elevated, again, the, the parameters are now changed. <clears throat> the value's lower. That's big. They don't have to be. Only a third of patients have hypokalemia from primary hyperaldosteronism. So don't just look at the potassium. If it's fine, you're okay. Uh Uh-uh. This is something that I created for the JNC7. 
Keith was on that panel as well. I just want to emphasize, this table should be in every exam room to remind you to discuss these lifestyle issues with patients. Sodium is there, but look, other things are there as well. Also ask the patient about other agents. There's a whole bunch of other agents that contribute to hypertension, and you'd be unappreciated. Your pearl for the morning is if they're taking NSAIDs and they need to take them, the only drug that's going to blunt the rise in blood pressure are calcium blockers. Don't have time to get into it, but there's your pearl for the day. So the two most common non-disease causes of apparent-resistant hypertension, anxiety for white coat, and poor medication adherence. Can't overemphasize that. This is the blood pressure-resistant hypertension consensus report that we put together in 2018. There's nothing new. There's new things that are coming down the pike, but there's nothing new to this paradigm. It is put together by us as to what we do and the evidence supports. So you need an appropriate diuretic, chlorthalidone or endapamide. You need a CCB, and you need a blocker of the renin angiotensin system at clinical trial doses, not lower doses. If that fails, you go to Spiro, and you're going to hear why, but we're trying to replace it, and if you come Monday to the late breakers, you'll see what are the likely contenders to replace Spiro. So what are the key messages? For now, think of Spiro as the fourth drug. That is what the data supports. It works. And if you get a dramatic blood pressure change and you didn't think of primary hyperaldosteronism, you better. And go back and evaluate it. And you can't evaluate it if they're on Spiro. So just FYI. Diuretics, I told you. Thiazide-like are the way to go. CCBs. And again, that's for people with GFRs above 45. If your GFR is below 45 or the patient has a potassium, of 4.8 on a diuretic that's appropriately dosed, then the risk of hyperkalemia from Spiro is going to be higher. And you just need to be aware of that. You will not get hyperkalemia in somebody with a GFR of 60 or 70. The update here is combination therapy. Update. There's no update. We put that in the JNC7, 2003. This has been around forever. The European guidelines are saying it's first line. In this country, call me in the morning. Yes, our friends in the pharmacy and insurance business are responsible for this. But if you want to improve adherence, combination therapy is the way to go. No question about it. And remember, there's a range of efficacy within a certain drug class. So you don't need to be starting adding all kinds of drugs. That's the thought. Thank you very much. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.